new hope. So, uh, okay, so we're in this series, Christmas is Hope, and we're talking about Christmas, but we're doing it from a, not really like a traditional kind of like expected way. So we're looking at Christmas, but we're not even really looking at the Christmas stories. We're looking at what Christmas means. And, and the, it, we're looking at the why of Christmas, not necessarily the what and the, the timeline, um, though we've done that in the past and it's super fun. This is, this is something totally different. And so we spent the first week talking about how Christmas is hope for forgiveness. And we looked at the Old Testament and how there's this, this kind of red ribbon woven throughout it without, with prophecies all leading up to eventually finding their fulfillment in Jesus and specifically the birth of this, of this Savior, Jesus, and then eventually his path to the cross and, and how, that, how literally Christmas is hope that we can have forgiveness because of Jesus, but, but it doesn't start like in the New Testament. It goes way back, way back into the Old Testament, this, this plan of God throughout all of it. And then last week, we had the, the venerable, honorable, reverend Andrew Paul Purcelli. Uh, he, he came and shared, and he talked about how Christmas is hope for peace. And, and we, even, in, even in the Old Testament, Isaiah, we see that one of the names for Jesus is the Prince of Peace and how we can have peace, peace with God, peace here on earth. Today, we're talking about how Christmas is hope for relationships. And this one, this one is going to feel like, this sermon, I think, is going to feel uh, a, little, a little prickly. Because if we're honest, if we're honest, um, relationships are very personal. And, and I'm going to guess the relationships that you have like the close relationships that you have with people, with, with certainly with family, with, with really close friends, are, are both, um, they're both the best part of your life and the worst part of your life. <laughs> that the relationships you have bring you the most amount of joy, like the most amount of, oh, I just love, and also the most amount of struggle. That, that the relationship you have, it's this weird double-edged sword where it's both wonderful and really, really hard. It can be at, t- at different times, maybe sometimes at the same time. And so relationships like, is, is something that we all, we all have and we all are trying to navigate and figure out. And, and Christmas, Christmas is about a word that is so often overlooked and it has to do with relationships but it's, it's a, it is a very Christmas word. It's a very theological word that, that you don't think about. And the word is this. The word is reconciled. And here's how we know it's a Christmas word. It's in a Christmas carol, a, a hymn, a Christmas hymn. Here's what it says. And, and I I'm, will do you the, the favor of reading it, not singing it, Okay. Hark the herald angels sing. First of all, saying it is not right. You're like, even as I say it, you're like singing in your head. You're like, oh, no, that's, you, you totally butchered it. Yeah, I did on purpose. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. And then this line, God and sinners, and here's the word, reconciled. Whoa, I don't even know if you knew that was in there or realized the significance of that word and, and how that word reconciled that we don't typically think of as Christmas or even in like your common like daily language, how that is a very biblical theme. Like I, I think if, if we were to ask you, 
hey, um, come up with your top 10 words of when you think of Christmas, what comes to mind? Reconciled is not on that list. And I'm gonna guess that you don't even use that word. Like you, I don't, you probably can't even remember the last time you said the word reconciled, right? Unless you're in, in the finances, then you're like, oh, I use it all the time. I gotta reconcile my checkbook. Yeah, outside of that, have you, like, do you ever think about reconcile, reconciliation in its truest sense? Christmas is about so many things, and it's about family and joy and presents and gifts and, and love and, and, and meals and, 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 uh, and Jesus and, like, all these things. But Christmas really is, it really is the beginning of this rescue mission that, we, that the Bible calls reconciliation. Christmas is about reconciliation. So this morning, we're going to talk about this word, this often overlooked word, reconciliation, and, and what it means and, and what it means for us. And I'm going to say this, this next thing, um, that, that it's, it's going to, like, you're going to know that this is true. You're going to know that that's right, but you're not going to like it. You're not going to like what it means either. You, you, like, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to spend the rest of the morning, t- like, like, do, like, working hard to show you why this is true, but you're going to be like, oh, okay, I, either I know that to be true, and yeah, that's right, or I know that to be true, but mm, I don't know if I like that. Here it is, ready? This is the point of this morning. Being reconciled is far better than being right. Ooh. Some of you might have just nudged someone. You're like, hey, see, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and you go, okay, yeah, uh, that, I, that's probably true. Okay, but the implications of that, ooh, I don't know if I like. I don't know if I like that. Paul talks about reconciliation, and, and this, just to show you this word like, is all over the place. When we answer this question, why was Jesus born? To reconcile, here it is, ready? In, in Romans chapter five, Paul says this, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, he says it again, shall we be saved through his life? And not only this, but we also boast in God through, the Lord, uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation is a, is a really important part of the gospel that that. That Paul literally says that this is why, like, through Jesus now, we can experience reconciliation with God. Even though we were enemies, now we, were, we can be reconciled. And so whatever this word is, whatever it means, it seems to be important. It seems to be important enough that Paul's going to use it a lot. We'll continue to look at scriptures. It shows up a lot, this word reconciled. And whatever it means is closely tied to Jesus's mission and the gospel. And, and, and by the end of this, I think, I hope, you will say, yes, I, I, okay, I realize the importance of this, but I don't, ooh, this, this is the hard work of our faith. P- part of faith, like, nothing about faith is easy. Like, f- faith, is, uh, faith is a lifelong commitment, and it comes with, with highs and lows and ups and downs. And, and there's always like points of struggle and, and doubt and, and like, okay, well, how do I get through this? And that's normal. But then there's stuff that this is just the hard part of faith. Like this is the hard work. And this Sunday, this morning is that kind of, we're in that realm of, of our faith where this is hard. 
stuff. And, and here's why it's hard. Um, the, the, being reconciled is far better than being right. It might be the most important thing you hear today. But, and, and so let me just share this. Let me just, I need to confess to you guys a little bit. Um, and I, I tend to do this, again, when, it's, when it applies, when I know, I'm, you know I've got an issue and I want to share it, um, you know, I hope I'm honest enough to do so. So I want to share with you, and, I, and I, I, I think some of you, I hope some of you can relate. Here it is, ready? <clears throat> I love being right. Don't you love being right? Right? Raise your hand if you love being right. And, and here's this, yeah, you're like, some of you had your head up high. You're like, yes. And, and listen, I'm that. I'm that. I, I, fight, I have that in me where like, oh, I'll argue the opposite side just to prove I could. <laughs> like, I don't even believe this, but I just want to be. And, and, and here's the thing. With a lot of you, it isn't just enough that you're right. Because you know you're right. Like, any, like, you all know. Raise your hand. You know you're right. You know you're right. Here's what you need. Ready? You need everyone else to know you're right. Right? It isn't enough to just be like, oh, I know I'm right and that's good enough. No, no, no. I'm right and here's why. <laughs> and here's why you need to understand and agree with me that I'm right on this thing. And this is something that is deep in us. It is deep inside of you. And, and, and I think it's, like I have some ideas and theories as to why. I think, I think it's probably born out of out of at least a, a level of insecurity that we all have. We all have a, some level of insecurity. And so the way we kind of either cover that up or mask that is to, is to be right and to let people know we're right. And so then, there it kind of like, it kind of gets rid of that level of insecurity and sort of like, yeah, 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 I am, I am right. I am good. I am worth like keeping around. <laughs> like, like I, all right. And so some of it is probably a mask. Some of it, um, some of it is certainly born out of a selfishness and this desire maybe to prop ourselves up, which I think also comes out of some insecurity. But, but this idea of always being right is, is everywhere. And, it's, and it's, it's from like when you're little because you see it in your kids that they wanna be right about whatever it is. And, and even for the sake of being right, like in our family, if you know the 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 struggles and the conflicts and arguments and issues is probably the same as yours like if you come to my house you know what you'll find a real family who has real issues and real drama and real struggles and real conflict just like yours and most of it in fact let's do this quick little exercise in your brain okay i want you to think of the last 5 arguments or conflicts in your home. Okay, you got them all? All right, they're probably all last night. Okay, you got all, all five. Okay, think through your last five like, conflicts with whoever it is in your family. I'm gonna guess, I'm gonna guess most of them were over the issue of who was right, <laughs> of being right. I was right and you weren't. No, 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 no. I was right and you weren't, hold on, and it becomes a fight. And, and, and it's something that like, again, from when, kid, when you were kids and we just have this desire to be right and then we become an adult and it's still there, this desire to be right and to make sure that people know we're right. But what's far better than being right is being what, this, what the Bible calls this, this theological, biblical word, 
reconcile. That we should fight not to be right, but to be reconciled. The Greek word uh, for this, this word reconcile, is katalage. And, and it literally means reconcile, but here's the, here's the like, biblical definition. The act of reestablishing friendship between two persons who are on bad terms. That's what we're talking about. When we say reconciliation, what, it's, it's a very, it can be kind of confusing or out there. What we're talking about is reestablishing a friendship between two people on bad terms. It's this. It's the reestablishment of an interrupted or broken relationship. In short, we can say this. It's to exchange hostility for peace. Now, you read that and you say, yeah, I want sign me up for that. To exchange hostility I have with someone or maybe even multiple people and exchange that for peace? Yes, I want that. Now, here's the hard part. Here's why it's hard work. This does not happen accidentally. You don't stumble into a reconciliation. Oh, I, I, I woke up today. I think, honey, are we reconciled? Oh, wow, what a great morning. Uh, no, we are not reconciled. Like, <laughs> you enjoy the couch another night. <laughs> like, reconciliation takes work. And if you don't do the work, you don't experience reconciliation. So, so what we're talking about this morning is, all right, how, what does this mean and what does this look like? How do I do this? So if it's better to be reconciled than to be right, how, how do I do that? All right, here's the first thing we'll see. We're gonna look at Jesus, then we'll look at Paul. Here's the first thing. Jesus gives us hope to reconcile with those closest to us. Christmas is about hope and specifically hope for relationships because through Jesus, we have a hope that we can actually experience reconciliation with people who are closest to us. We know this to be true. The people who are the closest to you also provide the most conflict. <laughs> and the, certainly the most long-lasting, like personal, like deep, cutting conflict. Because you can have conflict with strangers, and they're strangers. You're just like, we're done, all right? I'll never see you again, right? Stay out of my lane next time. <laughs> I'm driving, stay over there. And then you never see them again, right? The conflict is over, whatever. But with, your, with family or like really close friends, Anytime there's conflict, well, that can, that can sustain over years, for some over decades. This is, this is hard work. So when we talk about how to like reconcile, Jesus, Jesus provides an answer and he gives us hope um, because the closer you are to someone, the more conflict shows up. So, so Jesus is gonna say something and he's gonna say something so practical on this. So many times when I think when you, you hear a sermon or, you know, you can get to a point where you go, okay, that, that all sounds great, but, but what do I do? All right, what's the, th this sermon's not gonna be that. This is gonna be, all right, I know what to do and I don't like it. <laughs> Jesus says something so practical for us that we avoid it. It isn't because we don't know what to do, it's because I don't want to do that. That. Jesus, that is, that is hard work. Like that is vulnerable. Like that is risky. This is really risky. Here's what he says. In Matthew chapter five, he's gonna, he's, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And, and we looked at this a few weeks ago when we went through the 10, we went through the 10 commandments. Uh, when we looked specifically at, at thou shalt not murder and Jesus 
he, 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 he uses the commandment and then he reiterates. That's this passage. But then we're going to look at the verses right after that. So here's what he says. You've heard it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, you idiot, essentially, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now that is like, okay, Jesus, that sounds, that, that feels like much. And we, a few weeks, a number of weeks ago, we looked at this. So if we don't, I'm not going to re-preach that sermon. You can go back on and, and watch that. But then these next few verses we didn't look at, and here's what it says, okay? This is the stuff that's so practical and yet so foreign to us. Verse 23, therefore, because of that, if you are offering your gift at the altar, if you're coming and offering uh, at the temple, at the, this essentially, this, this is first century worship. So if you're gonna come and offer your gift at the altar, and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Look at what he says. Leave your gift there in the front of the altar. Leave it. Don't finish it. Don't finish your worship. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. All right. Jesus, you don't really mean that though, right? Like you don't really mean stop worshiping, go reconcile with them, and then come back. That's just hyperbole, right? (laughs) Now, I don't know about you. I don't, I, like, you probably haven't seen this done ever, really, where someone withholds worship because some, they have something wrong with another brother or sister, another person. I've, I've only seen this once in my life, and it, it really shook me up because I didn't know what I was looking at. Um, I, I, um, there's a uh, guy, uh, his name's Jerry, and, um, and he's an old, older gentleman, and he's been in church and uh, following Jesus and in ministry for decades, literally decades, 50 plus years, and, and, uh, and he was a, a, a mentor of mine, still is, a guy that I love and will talk to every once in a while, and, and, um, and I remember, I, remember uh, I was a, a Christian, I became a Christian later in life, so I didn't grow up in church, so it was all new to me, but I'd been a Christian for a little while, and, and I remember it was Communion Sunday, and I'm sitting down in the row with Jerry. He's a you know a few few people down, and and uh, and it's communion Sunday, and and this was this was um, this was certainly pre-COVID. So you know you passed we passed the we passed the bread, we passed the juice, you know, and everyone put their hands on all the food that you're about to drink and eat, and they everyone touched it, and then you took yours, and we wouldn't even think about it. We didn't even think about that. It's like ah, oh, it was normal. It's how you build, build your immune system was through communion, and. <laughs> And, and so it was back when we did that, right? I mean, this is, you know, decades, decades ago. And, uh, and I remember um, uh, it's communion time and they're passing it and, and you know, and it's, everyone takes it and it's, you know, it's a, it's a, I love communion. It's a great time. And, and he gets it and he doesn't take it and he passes it. And I've seen him take communion. I've taken communion with him before. He gets the bread, passes it. Gets the cup, passes it. And I'm, um, doesn't take it. And I'm like, dude, do you for, like, you, you, did, you forget how this works? You, you got to take one. I mean, I didn't say this to him because it's, you know, it's communion, it's worship time. And I'm like, okay, I'm just watching this going, what? So I took mine, of course. Probably should have took two, you know, for, you know, double up for him. And, but I, I took mine and, you know, went about and, and, and you know, we did communion and, and uh, finished the day and it was great. And then, and then I remember it, but it messed with, it stuck with me. Like, why, why would he do it? Like, that doesn't make sense. And it wasn't because it was nonchalant. Like he was, 
he was, he was praying and, and clearly like during worship and, and you know, just really reflective and, and, and in the moment, and this was intentional. This was an intentional act. This wasn't a, oh, I forgot to grab it. So I remember I talked to them uh, the next week and I said, hey man, I, this is super weird, I know, but I saw you didn't take communion. What, what, like what happened? Like what was that? Like, why would you not take, I, I can't in my mind like fathom a reason why you wouldn't take communion. And he said, I realized that I have an issue with someone that I, that I created and I have to make it right. I'm like, what? And he goes, Jesus said that if you're in worship and you realize you have something wrong with your brother or sister, to go make that right and then come back to worship. And so he's like, this is what he said. And I'm, I'm going. He said, so, so I, I felt like I would be dishonoring communion if I didn't do what Jesus told me to do. I'm like, you seriously believe this stuff? <laughs> like this is, like you believe this enough to do this. You, t- you take Jesus' words seriously enough to say, I'm actually going to do what he says? You're a crazy Christian. You're a crazy Christian to actually do this. And I remember my, my mind and my, like my, even my faith being, wow, like how many times have I just taken communion just because and not seriously thought about this very thing of, of pursuing reconciliation, being reconciled with someone that I know maybe I wronged in the pursuit of, of coming with my full heart of worship. And he's doing this. And I'm, whoa, this is so practical, yet we don't, we don't want to think, we don't want to do this. This seems like, that seems like too much. Here's what we see. Jesus wants us to move from retaliation to Reconciliation. From, certainly from getting even to getting right with someone. The goal is not to get even. It's never to get even. But rather to be in right relationship. And Jesus says, he, 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 somehow he elevates this even to like higher than your participation in worship. If you bring in a gift, leave it there. Don't even, don't even finish. Go make it right and then come back and finish your worship. Whoa, this seems to be, reconciliation seems to be important then to Jesus. Now, this is different than forgiveness. So many times you can think like, oh, this just means I gotta forgive someone. No, 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 this is different. Forgiveness is, it has a part to play in this, in this like, idea of reconciliation. Um, forgiveness is one way though. Forgiveness is a one-way street. Think of forgiveness as something that you offer, whether they accept it or not, whether they ask for it or not. And, and ready for this? Whether they're alive or not, you can forgive someone regardless of, of how they receive or respond to it. In fact, you should offer forgiveness regardless of how they respond or receive it. But reconciliation is different. Reconciliation takes both people because if you're gonna restore relationship or a, a friendship between two people, two, two people who have a broken relationship, it takes both of them to say, let's make this work. Now, it doesn't mean that it's 50-50. It, it, most times it's probably not. It, it might be 90-20, 90% of the work from the person who offended and 10% of the other person to respond, but it takes both people. Forgiveness is the first step in reconciliation. It, it's, and in fact, you can't have reconciliation without forgiveness, without a level of I forgive you, I forgive you. Okay, let's make this right. 
Reconciliation is so much more though than just forgiveness because forgiveness can be offered and rejected. Forgiveness can be offered and even accepted, but still, I don't want to know you. I don't want to be around you. I don't want to have a relationship with you. And, and there are some instances where that makes sense. And that, that's just the nature of like how messy life is. And sometimes the, the fracture and the sin can be so great that it can't be healed. And I get that. I get that. Totally. But for a lot of us, we have relationships that don't fit that category, that can be healed, but maybe we just don't because it's hard work. It's risky. It requires us to be seriously vulnerable. Reconciliation takes this one step further. For those that you once had a relationship with, maybe because they're estranged or broken, it's saying this, I need to do what I can to repair and restore it again. Whatever I can, as much as it's up to me, Paul says, as much as it's up to you, live at peace with everyone. As much as, it's, as much as I can do to reconcile, I am required. All right, I think God's calling me to do that thing. This is not easy, and this hits home because this isn't, this, this isn't a command that's a one, like a one-time only. This is not, um, this is not like, um, this is not like what some of you are gonna get for Christmas if you're a parent, especially, this is not uh, the coupon book that you get from your kids that, you know, I will wash your car one time, dad, redeemable anytime, you know, this year. Or like, I will, you know, mom, this is a coupon to do the, I will do the dishes one time this year. Okay, I'll scratch that. I will do a dish one time, you know, in the next seven days. And after that is null and void. It's like, this isn't a, like reconciliation isn't a, hey, I'm offering this one time. And if you decline it, it's off the table. This is not a negotiation that you're trying to make a business deal with. This is why it's so hard. Reconciliation is to offer it and to offer it and to offer it and to continue to offer it. And many of us have maybe even said, I've, I've tried in the past. I tried, they weren't ready. The ball's in their court. All right, I, I get that. I, I get that. I, there's some I could say that about, but that's not what rec- reconciliation requires or pursues. Reconciliation says, all right, I think I need to offer it again. Really? I think maybe. It's been a while. This is, this is, this is when, when, when Jesus has an interaction with Peter. This is the thing that they're talking about in this moment. And, and if you've been in church for a while, you might recognize this, this story, this experience that Peter has. Peter comes and asks Jesus, how many times, Lord, shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? And he gives a possible answer, and, and it's a good one. And it's a good one. It's one that you would say, that, yeah, that's pretty good. How many times shall I forgive, forgive someone who has sinned against me? And he says, is it seven times? Up to seven times? Now, this is, again, in our minds, like we, he, we hear the stories. Maybe you've read through that, and you, know, like, you just know that. You already know the rest of the story. Hold on, slow down, slow down. Okay, let's just think about what he said. If I've forgiven someone seven times that they've wronged me, is that enough? Okay, is there anyone in your life that you've forgiven seven times? That's high. You're probably going, two's a lot. <laughs> I'll forgive you, but don't do it again. They do it again, all right? I'll forgive you again. You get one, I'll, all right, all right. I can forgive you again, okay? They do it a third time. We, we developed a sport around this. Three strikes, you're out, right? Hey, the third time, you're out. Peter, Peter's response is, all right, what if I go to seven? What if there's someone in your life that you need to forgive 
up to seven times, seven times. By the time you get to number seven, people are like, why do you keep doing it? Like, this is weird. Why are you keep forgiving them for like, the, they, they keep wronging you seven, seven times. You've forgiven them seven times? Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. One is nice. Seven is crazy. Peter says this, all right. Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone? Up to seven times? That seems like a lot. It's a good biblical number. And you know Jesus' response, right? Jesus' response is not, hey, seven, that's, that's good, that's good. Jesus' response is, that's not even close, Peter. Here's what you should do, ready? 70 times seven. And, and he's not saying, he's not coming up with a number. Like this is, it's hyperbole. What he's saying is, the number you're thinking of, seven, multiply that exponentially. There is no number in which you stop forgiving someone. That's what Jesus says. This is, you get a hard work. Jesus, but you don't know what he did. And he's like, I think I do know what he did, actually. I think I know exactly who this person is. I made that person. I know exactly who they are. I know what they did. And forgive 70 times seven? Yeah, yeah. Hey, let me rephrase the question. I imagine Jesus would, is having this conversation with you. And, and here's how, here's how like, your answer should change. What if he asked you, all right, let me, let me just ask you a question. How many times should I forgive you? You, not them. How many times should Jesus forgive you? Seven times? You're like, oh, I need more than seven. Like seven is before breakfast. <laughs> it's already lunch. Seven, 70 times seven? That even seems like, oh, uh, I'm probably gonna run out of those pretty quick. How many times do you want Jesus to forgive you? Uh, there's no number. I don't. Lord, I need forgiveness every time. Every time. And, and his response is, okay, okay. What if, what if his call on your life is to do the same? Not to forgive, not to overlook. It doesn't mean you, there's no consequences, but to say, in my heart, I will, whew, I will continue to forgive. Whew. I, I imagine... Um, I imagine that, that you, are, you are never closer to Jesus than when you are forgiving someone else. Like to experience the heart of Jesus is, is, not, is not when you receive forgiveness, though that is great and we need it. But when you offer forgiveness, ooh. Okay, Lord, this is hard work. Yeah, and I do it a lot <laughs> for a lot of people, a lot of times. And when you are forgi actively forgiving someone who, by definition, doesn't deserve it, ooh, you are now really close to experience, like really close to the heart of God himself. Ooh. So it starts with forgiveness, but then reconciliation is the next step and say, now, what do we do to make this right? We could say this, that forgiveness is the key to the lock that opens or unlocks the door to reconciliation. That if you want to reconcile with someone, that, that locked gate requires forgiveness. Starts with forgiveness. And then it leads to reconciliation. I, I need to seek reconciliation with those closest to me because, ready? Because reconciliation is far better than being right. Being reconciled is so much better than being right. And we love to be right. You love to be right. I love to be right. But man, I really want reconciled relationships, restored relationships. Here's the second thing. Jesus gives us hope 
to model and offer reconciliation to others. Now, it goes a step further. Not only do you and I have experienced relationship with God, not only do we have the opportunity to be reconciled with like close relationships with people in our life, what we're told is we now have a job. We now have a role, what Paul calls a ministry of reconciliation. We actually are called to do this with everyone. Here's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter five. He says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God, and here comes this language again, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, here it is, the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the, the, like the ability to go do this with people. And then he tells us the reason why, 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. That God was doing this. The reason he came, the reason for Christmas is that God would reconcile people to himself, not counting their sins against them. And then he says, and we have that same now, that same opportunity for this ministry of reconciliation that we, that we then get to offer this. And he goes on, verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. That is such a crazy statement. That God is making his appeal to other people through you. God is making his appeal of reconciliation and right relationship with other people. He wants other people, people who don't know him, that he wants them to know him, and he's gonna use little old you to do it? That you are somehow his ambassador? You speak on his behalf? Ooh, that's a, that's a, bur- that's a weight, a res- an awesome responsibility. And Paul says, we are his ambassadors as though God is making his appeal through us. That's crazy. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We often do this. We often, instead of like seeking to reconcile, like offering reconciliation with people and God or people with us, we instead, we love, we're good at this. We're really good at this. Instead, we create a list of sins and and things that they need to get right or fix. Reasons that they're wrong instead of reasons or ways we can be made right. And we do this all the time. You do this, you do this, and I know you do this because I do this. We call it judgment. <laughs> we make judgments, snap judgments, based on what you hear about someone. You hear a, go- a juicy gossip, and, and right away you make decisions and, and ideas and assumptions about this person. Let me give you an example. Let me, hear, let me share some gossip that I, I got this last week. <laughs> so I, do you guys hear what happened with Bill? Bill's a, a faithful guy here. Do you guys hear what, what he did to his wife? Did you hear what he did to his wife? Neither did I, because I just made that up. But you're already judging Bill, that dirty dog. How could he? How could he do that to his wife? You don't know. There's nothing about this. I, but we do this. We instantly, we instantly go, oh, oh, he did something to his wife? How could he? Like, no, he doesn't even exist. I mean, Bill exists. But, um, Bill, if you're here, I'm sorry. And, and you're, to your wife, he did nothing wrong. <laughs> and we, I, at least that we know of, Bill, hopefully come clean if you have. We do this all the time. We do this when we see people. I, I, I admit, so one, um, I shared this last service, not even in the notes, it's just, this is free of service, here we go. Um, I, one of the things I love, I love doing, and it's, maybe it's weird, is I love asking people about their tattoos. If they're tatted up, I, I, I just, I, I love being like, hey, what's the story with that? What's the story, How, why'd you do that? Or what, what does that mean? And, and most of the time there's significance behind it. Sometimes they're like, I don't know, it'll look cool, so I put it on me. I'm like, okay, 
well, bold decision, you know, like rest of your life. You know, you got a goldfish. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and, but but so, so often, like, it's, it, there's meaning behind it. And, and, you know, I don't know what you think about, you know, tattoos and where you stand on it. For me, I use it as an evangelism tool. It's like asking, what does that mean? And, and especially, you know, if there's like a cross or like praying hands or something, like, oh, what does that mean? And I use it as a way to start conversation. And, and I remember um, a, a while ago, uh, this was, uh, I was in seminary, my wife and I were married and we're in an apartment complex and there's another guy who lived uh, downstairs and a few doors over and, and, um, and he, he worked at, at Biola um, where I went to school. Woot, anyone? No, okay. Um, and, um, but but he, he, was, uh, he was all tatted up. He was all tatted up and, uh, and uh, his hair was a little different and with you know, different colors and stuff and, and he was a sinner, he smoked. And he was a guy who loved the Lord. I mean, he was like, he, we would have theology conversations and he was also the facilities guy. So he would be like cleaning up after we, and he said this. Um, and I said, man, you, you're like a, like, it's been great having a conversation. I've asked, of course, asked about tattoos and stuff. And, and, uh, and he said, he said, man, it's hard. It's hard looking how I look as a Christian, being in a Christian community. Like, what? I get judged by everyone because of the tattoos I got before I met Jesus. I get judged, they're with me always. And he goes, I, you know, I, I don't wanna get rid of them because it reminds me of how much he saved me and how far I've come and like my you know, whole, whole body's my life story and so I don't wanna ever get rid of that but people take a look at me and they're like, oh man, how can you be a Christian? <laughs> and he goes like, you know, I smoke, I still struggle with that, it's my addiction. But he goes, Brandon, if you knew all the addictions I got rid of, <laughs> smoking is the least of my concerns. Like that's the... He, he literally said to me once, he goes, this is like the healthiest thing I do. <laughs> like, like, wow, okay, man, that's crazy. Like, I've changed so much now, but, but people see a tatted up guy, um, the way I look, and, you know, it has got gauges in his ears, and, and he smokes, and he goes, I instantly get judged, you know? How could you be able to go to church? And he goes, man, it's crazy. And, 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 and this is that. Instead of trying to pursue reconciliation, what we do is we, we, we look at someone, we hear about something, and we make all kinds of judgments and assessments about that person. Ooh, man. Instead, we have a ministry, we're called to a ministry of reconciliation, of modeling and offering reconciliation, not judgment, not reasons why you need to change this about you or else. No, no. Because being reconciled is far better than being right. I've had to learn this. As a guy who loves being right and wants to be right, to say, hey, there, I don't have to be right. I would prefer, I, I, I want to instead have right relationship. But that is work. So how do I do this? How do I begin reconciliation? Some practical advice here before we wrap up. How do I do this? Number one, first, if you haven't done this yet, you, you have to start by being reconciled to God. Like Paul says, we are ambassadors. And he says, all right, we're making this appeal. And, he's, and he, his, his, here's his conclusion. You be reconciled to God. <laughs> but before we talk about like making things right with other people, you gotta make it right with the, the, the relationship. So be reconciled to God. The fact that Jesus came and died for you to reconcile you, to make it right with him. Here's the next thing, okay? So, you're reconciled to God. And many of us are like, yeah, I'm great, I'm there, all right. But you still have maybe broken relationships, you know, um, severed relationships, maybe just heart str struggling, okay. 
Number, number one, initiate honest conversations. Take it upon yourself to start the conversation because the other person probably isn't going to. You will go your whole life waiting for them to have the conversation and it won't come. So it might mean you initiating that really honest but difficult conversation. To, to acknowledge maybe areas of misunderstanding and, and certainly come with humility and grace. This is not a, hey, we need to make this right and you're being such a jerk <laughs> and you need to do this. Ball's in your court. That's not reconciliation. It needs to come with humility and grace and acknowledging what, like owning up to your part of the issue and letting, letting them decide how they respond. Next, it, it looks like this, extending forgiveness freely. Ooh, this is hard. To extend, like there is such power in forgiveness. To extend forgiveness is really difficult. But, but this is the moment. This is the moment when you are most like Jesus, when you are actively forgiving someone. Not forgiving, not neglecting, not, not like, get, like, like pretending it didn't happen, not just like, like sweeping it under the rug. That's not what we're talking about. It's not saying that there's no consequences, but we're saying, I'm, I'm not going to hold this bitterness in my heart against you. I'm going to forgive you. Now, there's still fallout based on how big of a break it is, based on the size of the sin or, or the, the level of, 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 of betrayal or whatever it is. There's still fallout, but all right, I, I'm, gonna actively, I'm gonna actively pursue forgiving people and forgiving those who wrong me. Ooh, that Again, it is not easy work. And then here's the last piece of advice I'd give you. Find some guidance, some wise counsel. First, go to the Lord. You should be praying, God, give me wisdom. James tells us anyone lacks wisdom, especially in difficult hardships, to ask for wisdom and God gives it, who gives it generously. To ask him who gives wisdom generously, God, I need wisdom. But also find a trusted voice in your life, a trusted voice. Not someone, this is, now this is important, listen. Not someone who agrees with you. It's not what you're looking for. That's easy to find. Not someone who will say what you want them to say, what you want to hear. Because you, you and I, we're good at this. We know, the, we, know we, we, can, we can probably guess at what people are gonna tell us before we ask. So we go to the people that we want to hear, like what we want to hear. I know that they're gonna tell me to do this, so I'm gonna go get counsel from them. Now, here's what biblical godly counsel looks like. It looks like someone telling you you're wrong. It looks like someone telling you the thing you don't wanna hear, the opposite of what you want to hear. That's a, that is a trusted voice who says, I love you and I care about you, and I, I'm gonna tell you the hard thing that maybe no one else will. Okay, okay, I'm ready for it. Or maybe you're not ready for it, but you need it. And if you don't have that person in your life, Set up a meeting with me. <laughs> I'd love to tell you what's wrong with you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but in all honesty, in all honesty, if there are issues, like I meet with people and I would love to, if you, know, if you want to meet and whether it be a relationship or something, great, we can set up a time, maybe not during Christmas, but come the new year, great, wonderful. And, and I can promise this, I will, I will say, I will be completely honest. And if you've met with me before, you probably know that. Like, I'm not, like, what do I have to lose? I'm just gonna, hey, I'll, I'll say what no one else in their life will say or what people are afraid to say and, and whatever happens, happens. But like, this is the honest, this is what I, this is the honest truth. And you need someone. 
You need someone who will give you honest truth. Find some guidance as to, as to how to go about doing this. Because being reconciled is far better than being right. So this Christmas season, we think about our relationships and, and, and we ask this question, who do I need to be reconciled with? And then the follow-up, Lord, what's my role in that? Would you do this? Would you stand with me? And we're gonna, we're gonna worship together here. And, and I'm, gonna pray, I'm gonna pray those two specific questions over all of us. So will you, will you do this? Will you bow with me? So Lord, right now, um, as we come before you and as we approach um, you and your throne, um, will you, even as we get ready to worship, will you reveal to each and every one of us if there is a person or a relationship that we do need to pursue reconciliation with? Will you reveal it to each and every one of us? Just in, our, in, our, in the quietness of our, of our own heart, will you bring to mind the person, the, the, the relationship that we need to actually go out of our way to pursue reconciliation. And then, Lord, will you show us our role in that? What role we play in pursuing reconciliation? We ask for that now, Lord. Will you do that with every single one of us as we get ready to worship you? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer,